So I uh, want to say good morning to you. It is a just delight to uh, see you all. And by all of you, I mean all. I can, I'm so thankful that we're all together in one place at one time. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, we are uh, back in 1 Samuel. It is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you're not super familiar with the Bible, 1 Samuel is towards the front of the Bible. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you at church, there's one under the chair in front of you, and you'll find 1 Samuel 3 on page 227 of that Bible. And as always, if you don't own a Bible, please go ahead and take that one home with you. That is this congregation's gift to you so that you have a copy of God's Word. We will be in 1 Samuel chapter 3, and uh, the verse numbers are the little numbers. The chapter number is the big number. So as we work through, you're just looking for those little numbers. It's going to take us around 45 minutes or so to work our way through this passage. And then afterwards, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together. 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So we see at the beginning of this chapter, there's a famine in Samuel's day. Not a famine of food, but a famine of God's word. We read that the word of God was rare in those days, and the nation was spiritually starved. 64% of Americans believe there's more than one way to heaven. 82% of Americans believe that God helps those who help themselves is in the Bible. Half of graduating seniors thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. Those statistics don't surprise me. Those statistics don't even bother me. America is a mission field. These statistics bother me. 81% of churchgoers report that they don't read the Bible every day. 40% of churchgoers read the Bible only when they go to church on Sunday. 60% of evangelicals believe the Holy Spirit is a force instead of a person. 65% of churchgoers do not believe the devil is real. 56% of churchgoers do not consider evangelism an essential part of their faith. And... 61% of churchgoers have never discipled anyone. I don't think it's going out on a limb by saying 1 Samuel 3, 1 might be applied to us today. The Word of God is rare in our day. Why do so many confessing Christians neglect reading their Bibles? I suspect it could be time. After all, we're a very busy people. 
I think that's undeniable. We're a very busy people. Consider, for example, the average American spends over two hours a day on social media. The average American spends an additional two hours a day watching TV. That's, that's a busy person. Four hours consuming social media and TV. We are a very busy people. But busy doing what? Before there was anything, there was God, and God created everything by speaking. God gave life to the first man by breathing His life into that man. And in the same way, God brings people from spiritual death to spiritual life by speaking, by His Word. Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Jesus said, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In another place, the Lord said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God gives life by His Word. God sustains life by His Word. His Word is vital to our lives. This is why for 22 Sundays in a row, we prayed Psalm 119 over our church. We need God's Word. We desire God's Word. God imparts spiritual life to His people through His Word, and we want you to be alive. So into this word famine of 1 Samuel 3, the Lord speaks and raises up a spokesperson, a prophet, the first since Moses to revive God's people, to impart life to God's people by speaking God's word to God's people. And all of this begins with a little boy in a linen ephod having trouble sleeping. The main idea this morning is this. The Lord reveals Himself and calls His people to their purpose by His Word. Therefore, listen and respond. The Lord calls His people to their purpose by His Word. Therefore, listen and respond. The sermon is entitled, Here I Am. And you'll see why in a moment. Let's pick up reading verse 2 down to verse 10. This is... Young Samuel's heavenly call. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times. Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, speak, 
for your servant hears. Quick review. Eli is the main priest of God's people, Israel. His job was to facilitate God's people's worship of God, much in the same way that our brother has facilitated our worship of God this morning. And Eli has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and these are wicked men. They extorted God's people. They cared nothing for God himself. They slept with the women who were serving in the temple. Eli knew about this. He rebuked his boys, but he did nothing about what his boys were doing. The Lord had warned him that if he did not remove Hophni and Phinehas, that his whole house would come under condemnation, and his own boys, both of them, would die in the very same day. We don't know, that was last week, we don't know how how much time has passed between the end of chapter 2, where Eli heard this, and chapter 3. But we know that his sons are still in office. Verse 2 is telling. Eli's eyesight had grown dim. That's a a double entendre. Uh, It's... it's in, liter- in literature, a double entendre is a, uh, it, it takes a word or a phrase to mean two different things. So when we read that Eli's sight was, was he was going blind, it's, it's also meant to indicate his spiritual condition. In this case, Eli's physical blindness is an indication of his spiritual blindness. It's a double entendre. There's a couple of them here in this chapter. When you study Eli, and as you're reading through the books of First and Second Samuel, notice these things. Pick up on these things. Eli is often s- sedentary in this book. The first time we see him in chapter 1, he's, a, he's sitting down on a seat at the door of the temple. In chapter 2, he's neglecting to remove his sons from office. In chapter 3, he can't see, and he's lying down in his own place. In chapter 4, he's sitting and watching God's people make a terrible decision. Eli is a man of weak and feeble temperament. He will speak against evil, but he will do nothing against evil. And Eli is being contrasted with Samuel. Notice here that Eli is sleeping in his own place while Samuel is sleeping in God's place. Here we see the the lamp of God. This is a large candlestick which was kept near the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the place where God's presence dwelt on earth. And the the lamp of God was to be kept lit day and night. The priests had the job of making sure the lamp would stay lit. It must have been Samuel's job to, to maintain the lamp in the holy place. Because we see him here sleeping in the temple, making sure that these things are getting done. Verse 3 is then telling us two different things. First, it's early in the morning because Samuel had lit the lamp and then went to sleep, and the lamp of God is still burning. But it's also another double entendre. Though the poor, through, through the poor leadership of Eli, God's people were in a famine of God's word, and yet the light of God, the lamp of God, had not gone out completely. It was still burning. There's still a flicker of light dancing across the body of this young Nazarite priest asleep in the temple of God. There's still hope. And God speaks to Samuel. But Samuel did not yet know the voice of the Lord. He had not yet been taught to listen for the voice of the Lord. And so when he hears the word Samuel, he runs to Eli. Here I am. Notice the young 
prophet's willingness to serve. It's the middle of the night, and he's up, and he's ready to do what is asked of him. Here I am as a very Christian posture. It was the posture of another prophet of the Lord who came many years later when the Lord asked, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? The prophet Isaiah, here I am, send me. It's just like that song we just sang over and over and over. And Father, use this ransom life in any way you choose. Here I am. Well, it wasn't the old man Eli calling Samuel. It was God. But the old man Eli in his dimness, he didn't figure that out until the third time. Now, let's give old man Eli a little grace here. Some of you know what it's like to be woken up by children in the middle of the night. Some of you really know what it's like to be woken up by children in the middle of the night. But my children are grown, and they sleep through the night. May God be praised. But when they do wake up in the middle of the night, I'm a lot more like Eli than you probably are. I tell them, go back to bed. But dad, the ceiling came down in my bedroom. We'll talk about it in the morning. Go back to bed. It's raining on my bed. Sleep on the couch. I don't know. I'm barely a parent at three in the morning, barely. But finally, the old man figures it out. And he tells Eli, all right, if it happens again, it's probably the Lord. Just ask him what he wants. This is where my grace for Eli ends, because you are in a famine of God's word in the land. And there's evidence that God is speaking audibly in the other room. And what, Eli, you're just going to go back to sleep and what, check in in the morning? God might be speaking. It's almost as bad as when Christians who have two or three Bibles in their house never read them. Almost. That was quiet. Anyway, Eli goes back to sleep. Samuel lays down in God's place. In verse 10. The Lord came and stood and called out again. This verse seems to imply that God is physically manifested in that place and audibly speaking in that place. And just so you know, that's really rare in the Bible. And the Lord calls, Samuel, Samuel. Repetition of Samuel's name is important. Careful Bible readers will no doubt remember another prophet, Moses. Moses. The repetition of his name from the burning bush. This is Samuel's burning bush moment. God does this. He did this with Abraham. He did it with Jacob. Do you remember when Paul was on his way to Damascus and the risen Lord Jesus appeared to him? What did, what did Jesus say first? Saul, Saul, repetition of name. This is Samuel being called to his purpose in the Lord. 
God appeared to young Samuel, calling him to himself, and he gave him a purpose. And Samuel's response, here I am, speak, your servant listens. Have you responded to God's call on your life? Have you heard Almighty God calling your name? If not, is it possible that you just haven't been listening? Is it possible that you've just, like Eli, went back to sleep? Perhaps it's time to go to the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible and say, speak, Lord, your servant listens. Should you expect God to appear to you and to speak to you when you read the Bible? Yes! Why else would you read? I have zero interest in the words on these pages unless these words show me Jesus. I have to see Jesus. I must see Jesus. He is my life. Cornerstone in the Bible isn't a multivitamin to boost your life. These are the very words of life. Go to your Bible daily. Not like an athlete to supplements, but as a poisoned man to antidotes. Will God appear to you visibly and, and speak to you audibly? It's not likely. But understand that when the Bible is open and your ears are open, God the Son stands forth gloriously from these pages and speaks to you the very words of life. Make it your daily practice to open the word and say, here I am, your servant listens. As we see next, when you do that, when you say, speak, Lord, sometimes the things that the Lord speaks are not easy things to hear. Sometimes they are difficult things to hear. Sometimes they contradict you and your thoughts, your feelings. But... This is because these are the words of Almighty God. These are not the words of you or I. And Almighty God is above us, and He's different than us. We don't get to pick and choose the parts of the Bible that we like and toss out the parts that we don't like so much. As Pastor Tim Keller insightfully observes, if you pick and choose what you want to believe and reject the rest, you'll have a God, essentially, of your own making. And not a God with whom you can have a relationship. Only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle, as in a real friendship or marriage, 
you will know that you have gotten hold of a real God and not a figment of your imagination. Samuel hears God, and what he hears is hard. So what will he do with hard words from a good God? Let's pick up reading in verse 11. This is Samuel's heavy word. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. It's like this kid only knows three words. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Hard words. A couple of weeks ago, I was visiting a friend of mine who had just moved to downtown Dayton, a bit of a rough part of town, and um, I parked my truck in front of his house in the street. And we're having dinner together, and uh, we hear some, some yelling outside, and so we go out onto his porch, and we see a guy has uh, another guy, who might, a younger guy, whom I presume is his son or nephew or something, and he has him up against my truck, and he is laying into him so that everyone can hear. And I couldn't quite discern what exactly the nature of this rebuke was, and I dare not repeat any of the words the man used here, uh, but all I could tell was he was serious. He was giving him hard words. And sometimes the Lord in love has to give us hard words. Hard words can soften hard hearts. And soft words can sometimes harden hearts even further. So the Lord gives Samuel a hard word to deliver and promises that when everyone hears this, they're going to shudder. 
Hard words like the ones that we read at the end of chapter 2, like the ones that we just read here, have three purposes. The first is, as I said, to soften the hard heart and to bring the hard heart to repentance. The second reason for hard words is that sometimes the effect of hard words is to harden the hard heart. And third, hard words serve to sober us all. This is what happens when God is belittled and sin goes unchecked. You don't have to look far in the Scriptures to see people who use hard words. John the Baptist comes to mind, telling the Pharisees, calling them, you brood of vipers. Or even the Lord Jesus, His seven woes in Matthew chapter 23. One thinks of Peter rebuking Simon the magician in Acts chapter 8. One thinks of the Apostle Paul rebuking Peter in Galatians 2. Of course, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, but sometimes hard words are what is needed. And the Lord had a hard word to give to old Eli. This was, by the way, the second time this man had been warned. And he hadn't listened the first time. I suppose it's a little bit like when you were little. Mama was like, hey, knock it off. Verse 15, Samuel lays until morning. I doubt that little guy slept a whole lot. In the morning, he opened the doors to the house of the Lord. There's another double entendre, isn't there? Samuel, the prophet priest of the Lord, is hearing God and opening the door of the house of the Lord to the people of God. This is a test for young Samuel. He's afraid to tell Eli. Eli's his master. I mean, nobody likes to tell... If you like someone, you don't like to tell them something they won't want to hear. We like to be liked. So I understand his hesitation. This is a test. Because of the rest of Samuel's ministry, God will speak to him, and he will need to deliver God's words exactly as they came. And sometimes, as we will soon learn in this book, they're not easy things to say. And sometimes you have to say them to very powerful people who do not want to hear what you have to say. This is the calling of the prophet. And you have to speak without censoring, without softening. I think we all feel that in little ways, don't we? There's an old Scottish commentary came up in my study of this passage, he wrote, how prone we are to try and soften what is disagreeable in our message to sinners, to take off the sharp edge and sheathe it in generalities and possibilities. It is no real kindness. The kindest thing we can do is to declare God's doom on sin. There's a temptation to dilute difficult doctrines like hell, like the exclusivity of Christ, like biblical sexual purity. But that's not love. That's the opposite of love. Paul told young Pastor Timothy, 
Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. In season and out of season doesn't mean that you should always have a sermon in your back pocket, no matter what time of day it is. It means that sometimes, Timothy, when you preach, people are going to love it. God's Word is in season. Sometimes you're going to preach, Timothy, and God's people and all people are not going to love it. It's very not popular. And either way, young Timothy, preach. If you love people, you must tell them the truth Whether they like to hear what you're going to say or not, if it is true, it must be shared. It is no unkindness of a doctor to give you a diagnosis. It is a kindness of that doctor to tell you what is wrong so that it can be treated. So to expose sin is not unkindness. It is love. So what does Samuel do? Eli calls him, come on, here I am. And then verse verse 17 is the first bit of good counsel from this old man. He says, tell God everything, or tell me everything God said, hide nothing from me. Tell me exactly as he gave it to you. That's good advice. Give me the full counsel of God. And so Samuel delivers this message to Eli. And Eli's response in hearing that seems touching on the surface. It seems a good one on the surface. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Because resignation to the Lord's will is a good thing, undoubtedly a good thing. However, don't forget that Eli's sons are still dishonoring God, still blaspheming God. And Eli hears God's word, but then does nothing with God's word. Remember the Apostle James who warned about those who hear God's Word and then do nothing with it. Eli's response does not seem to be repentance. So you see this sometimes in Christians. At least I see this sometimes in Christians. I'm a sinner pastor, Romans 7. You know, the good that I want to do, I don't do, and the the good that I shouldn't do, the things that I shouldn't do, that's what I end up doing. Wretched man that I am. But we have to remind ourselves that Romans 7 is in the Bible, but it comes right before Romans 8, where we are told that you must put to death the evil deeds. Repentance means that you own your sin. You turn away from sin, turn to Christ. So, of course, when Paul admits, wretched man that I am, that's not a confessional resignation. This is the Lord's will. Let him do what he wants. Because Paul goes on and says, who will deliver me from this body of death? The Christian never asks, wretched man that I am, I'll just stay here. We say, who's going to deliver us? And then we answer with Paul, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
the whole of the Christian life is contained in that turning away from sin and turning towards the Lord. The world and the flesh and the devil are tempting in many ways. Look to Christ, dear one, our sinless Savior suffering in our place. God's love pouring out of Him in His blood that He shed. See the scars on His body, the cost of saving your soul. See Him exalted in heaven and rest in His unfailing mercy. And live your days tasting the deeper pleasures of God than any of those offered by sin. Make here I am the position of your life. If that's what Eli meant, then he was repentant. But from the chapters that follow, it doesn't seem like that's what Eli meant. Let's wrap up our time together in verse 19 to the end of the chapter. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. For the third time, we're told Samuel grew, continuing to be contrasted with Eli and his sons. Eli never seemed to change. Hophni and Phinehas continued to blaspheme God. But Samuel continues growing honoring the Lord. So Samuel grew as just another double entendre. Verse 21, the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. There's, there's the reason why Samuel grew. Such is the case of, of all who come to him by faith in his word. We hear him speak, we grow. A verse we use around here all the time, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all, with unveiled, unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Nothing can take the place of unhurried time staring at the glory of Jesus Christ in the Word of turning over His words in your mind, of following the mysterious twists and turns in God's self-revelation. Nothing can take the place in your life of morning by morning, evening by evening, reading and praying, reading and praying. We wait on the Lord to do what He has always done, waiting like on the sunrise, expecting the the bright glory of God's Son to break through these pages. And when we see Him, we're changed. And when we don't see Him, we keep reading, we keep praying. When we don't feel like reading and praying, we keep reading, we keep praying. And then by degrees, almost imperceptibly, Our orbit begins to shift. Our desires begin to change. 
our pleasures deepen. The world slows down. We see more, we feel more, we listen more, we give more, we love more, we laugh more. We're less threatened by opponents, we're less aggressive toward others' sin and more aggressive towards our own. We're more certain about what's in the Bible and less certain about everything else. We feel more like an insider when we're at church and more like an outsider when we're in the world. We're less troubled by the shifting of our culture and more prayerful for the shifting of our culture. What's happening? We're growing. What does it feel like? It feels like nothing. When you were 10, what did growing feel like? It felt like nothing. You just slept and ate, played, made mistakes, learned some stuff, slept, ate, on repeat. And you wouldn't be able to know that you were growing except when you had made the little notch on the door frame. And then you look back a year ago and you see, I've grown three or four inches. It's a little bit like that. There are seasons when growth in the Lord happen quickly. We're glad for those. We praise God for those. But most of the growth in our life happens in degrees, gradually, morning by morning, evening by evening, reading and praying, staring at Christ in the Scriptures as you grow into your purpose and ministry, as you grow with your purpose and ministry. The Bible says the Lord let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. It means that as a spokesman for the Lord, what he spoke was from the Lord and the Lord saw to it that his word would not return to him void. It would accomplish what he set it out to do. And then from Dan to Beersheba, everyone knew that he was a prophet from the furthest north to the furthest south. How we might say from sea to shining sea, everyone knew that Samuel was established as a prophet. Chapter 3 had opened with the word of God being rare in those days. And chapter 4 opens with the word of God coming to all of Israel. No longer was the word of the Lord rare. There was a prophet in Israel. And God would work through his prophet to bring forth his kingdom. The kingdom of his son. This happened by the will of God, because Samuel listened to God, opened his life to God, and obeyed God. And those serve as three simple takeaways from 1 Samuel 3. Here are three lessons that we can learn by reading this chapter. Number one, listen to God. Spend time with Him in His Word. If you're not using a Bible reading plan, get one plenty out there. I'm appreciative of one of our brothers who has got some guys in the church together and doing, doing a Bible reading plan this summer. It's been fruitful. I've been blessed by it. Pick someone, a friend, 
Someone you know well or someone you don't know so much. Do a Bible reading with them. You may think you're too busy. I promise you, you're not. Lord willing, this fall, we're, we're going to start something called Cornerstone Institute, which is going to be like a biweekly class where we just dig into God's Word and become more familiar with knowing God in His Word. Will it require time and sacrifice? Yes, it will. It better. Will it be challenging? Yes, it will. It better. Will it be worth it? I promise you it will. And I'm praying that there are plenty of wives who take the class because their husbands are taking care of the children. Number one, listen to God. Number two, adopt the here I am posture. Put on the here I am posture. Surrender your life to whatever God would have you to do. Is the Lord calling you to join the church? Is God calling you to go to the nations, to minister among the unreached peoples of the world? Is the Lord calling you to extend, uh, ex- to, to spend an extended amount of time praying through the membership role of our church? Adopt a here I am posture. Openness, willingness. Use this ransom life in any way you choose. Number three speak. Listen to God, here I am posture, and then tell someone, speak. The Word of God was no longer rare in Israel in those days. Why? Because there was a prophet in Israel speaking God's Word. A big part of growing in the faith is sharing with others, tethering your life to someone else who you help grow in the Lord, who they help you grow in the Lord. Maybe it's time for you to teach in the Pebbles class. Maybe it's time for you to start a Living Stones group. Maybe it's time for you to join a Living Stones group. Maybe it's time for you to initiate a Bible study with your coworkers at work before, before the shift starts on Wednesday mornings. Maybe it's time for you to share the gospel with your non-Christian friend. Speak. I think it is true that the Word of God is rare in our day. Members of Cornerstone Pickwell, may it never be rare in this place. May we do our part in the here I am posture to lay down our lives and to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in Piqua, Miami County, and the world until Christ is all. I'll leave you with this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom until Christ is all. Amen.